The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Good to be with you again uh, for a second Monday in a row, and I'm looking forward to continuing uh, the series for this year, taking one another seriously. So uh, today we are going to focus on this passage from Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can open to it and a couple of other passages as well. The uh, series for the year, for those of you who are here and for those that are joining live stream or watching this later, we're taking opportunity to focus on what it means to take one another seriously. We started with Philippians 2 in that passage that outlines for us the humility of Christ that is to be ours as well, the humility that sees others as more important than ourselves and considers not only our own interests but the interests of others. We've talked about what it means to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage and exhort one another. And last week, to respect one another, to honor one another, to, to hold one another in high esteem, and that that should be uh, evidenced in the way that we think about one another, the way we evaluate one another, the way we talk about one another and to one another, the way we treat one another. That issue of respect, the sensitivity to, to the other is to mark the Christian life. And we talked about that last week. This week, I want to address the issue of forgiving one another. When you think about the one another passages, like the Philippians passage that we began the year with, and this passage in Colossians, there's quite a bit that addresses our relationship with one another, that talks about what it means to be Christian brothers and sisters, to be members of one body. There are some recurring themes that run through the one another passage. You will not find a one another passage that doesn't address the issue of loving one another. Love is the thing, as was just read, that binds all of these things together. And so as we're thinking this morning about this issue of forgiving one another, I want you to work to keep it in the context of the entire idea of our relationships to one another. I think last week I uh, called to mind the fact that we have a community life covenant that actually spells this out quite specifically, our mutual obligation, our covenantal obligation to one another to be deferential and respectful, loving and caring, kind, long-suffering, compassionate. All of that that we write into our documents at the university is to govern our life together, the way we think about and the way we treat one another. And so this morning I want to focus on this issue of forgiveness, in particular the issue of forgiving one another as it plays out in our body life. A passage that, that Mark read is the passage I want to focus on, Colossians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, where the Apostle Paul is giving a very clear admonition to Christians that there are many things that should mark their relationships with one another, and forgiveness is to be one of them. I've been thinking on this matter of forgiveness for quite some time. Um, my wife and I have spent a little time working on, uh, I don't know if premarital is the right word, but marital preparation counseling with some students over the years, and we always touch on this issue of forgiveness. And this last year, my wife reminded me of something that I had forgotten. She reminded me of something related to our wedding vows. Not that I'd forgotten my wedding. I remember this being in the vows. I just remember that I don't remember us having a discussion about it. Our wedding vows, which we wrote, had the line in it that we would promise to willingly ask for forgiveness and to freely forgive. I remember that being in the vows. I remember thinking that that was an important thing as I was being discipled. That construct of forgiveness was something we talked a lot about. The need to ask for forgiveness, but also the need to give forgiveness. What I forgot 
was that all those years ago, 30 plus years ago, that my wife and I had a conversation about it. She was unsure why I would want that line in there. And I assured her it was all about me and not about her. I was going to need forgiveness much more and she was going to need to give it more. But we talked about that importance of that being in the vows. Not just that we would love one another and commit to one another till death do us part, that, but that the, the, the characteristics and qualities that were to be manifest in our relationship with one another as believers should be part of our marriage. And we included in there this idea of forgiveness. And so I was thinking about this now for well over a year, uh, what it would mean for us to think about that in the context of our life together at Cairn University and in your relationships here and beyond the university. And as Dawn and I have been discussing it over the last year, we've come to some conclusions about forgiveness as we've rethought uh, and thought again and again and again about what the Bible teaches regarding this. And it's clearly tied to the one another's in the Bible, but it's a hard topic. It's a hard topic, I think, because we are human and we all have issues and we all have our own stories. We all have our own things in life, our own set of relationships, our own set of experiences, our own set of, of, of histories. You can share them with the people that are in your life about where you've come from and what you've been through. But I think in the end, one of the things that comes to bear on our own individual stories and experiences and histories is this issue of forgiveness. And for some of us, it's a very hard topic, largely because it is so personal. There's something in our nature that knows that forgiveness is the right thing, and yet it's such a hard thing for us to do. As I've thought about this over the course of my Christian life, I've thought about the issue of asking forgiveness. That's on one side of this, and asking forgiveness for forgiveness is an important element of the Christian life. It's a mark of Christian humility and maturity to be willing to ask for forgiveness. It's one of the reasons that I wanted it in those lines that we spoke to one another all those years ago, because I think that it is an important mark of Christian humility and maturity, of wisdom and gentleness and loving kindness and forbearance, to be willing to ask someone else for forgiveness. When I was a little boy, I remember watching um, a movie in which the lead character would always say to junior officers in the military, uh, don't ask, don't stop apologizing, it's a sign of weakness. And kind of grew up with that idea that apologizing is a sign of weakness. But apologizing and saying I'm sorry is not the biblical idea of forgiveness. It's, it's important and it helps, but saying I'm sorry to someone doesn't require as much of us as asking someone to forgive us. Asking for forgiveness is one side of it because we love and respect one another and we defer to one another and that idea of our life together should make us sensitive to one another and willing to ask for forgiveness. But I think what makes forgiveness so hard is that experience teaches us that forgiveness isn't always sought or asked for. So what are we to do? Neither is it always given. And we know that, each and every one of us, from experience. I think every one of us in this room and everyone who watches this could testify at some point in life to not being asked for forgiveness and also testify to not being forgiven by another. 
we can think about the idea that I have examples in my life where someone never came and asked for forgiveness. I have other examples in my life where someone never forgave me or was reluctant to forgive me. That's actually easy because that's about the other. The hard one is when we think about us. My willingness to ask and my willingness to forgive. And I think that that's difficult because we wrestle every day with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We deal with the problems of our human nature that makes it very hard for us to submit to one another, to defer to one another, to to give to one another in meaningful ways. There's something in our nature that makes that very difficult. Add to that the cultural uh, issues around us about the importance of self and taking what you deserve and all of the sort of the, the sort of contemporary ideas about relationships and human psychology that actually cause us to think that we're entitled to certain things and that we don't have to give certain things unless they're asked for. And then the nature of the spiritual battle of forgiveness. The evil one would like nothing more than to undermine forgiveness between men and women in their earthly relationship because it somehow it somehow calls into question the kind of spiritual and eternal forgiveness that is ours in our relationship to God. But listen, there's one thing I know in thinking about of all of this is that as members of one body, if we are to take one another seriously, then we must take seriously the admonition to forgive one another. It's our Christian obligation and an outworking of our own forgiveness. Well, how does all this play out? Well, it's interesting in this passage in Colossians, the Apostle Paul also ties love to this. And I've been thinking about this because of, because of the admonition to love one another. Forgiveness is a natural outworking of that. In fact, the connection between love and forgiveness cannot be missed. They're inextricably tied to one another. If we say we have one and do not practice the other, we should examine ourselves and examine what we believe to be true about love and forgiveness. Maybe something is amiss. It'd be very hard to state that you love someone and then withhold from them forgiveness. I think one of the things that was in my head all those years ago when we were working on our own marriage vows was that line in 1 Corinthians 13, that, 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 that passage of scripture that gets read in eight out of ten weddings and yet has nothing to do with weddings or marriage. It's a bigger issue of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and it says love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong, as 1 Corinthians teaches. Sometimes I may wish it didn't say that, but it does. Sometimes I may wish I could love without being forgiving, but I can't. They are inextricably tied to one another. And if the commandments to love one another are true, then it requires of us to be forgiving. It's hard for us from a human perspective to give forgiveness, to be forgiving, to keep no record of wrong, to to not have a long list of grievances and grudges, to not carry bitterness and resentment. It's a hard thing for us as humans. And I think what makes that so, so difficult for me to get my mind around is we're such, we are such the recipients of God's benevolence, his love and grace and compassion and his mercy and loving kindness and his forgiveness 
It, it, it's almost striking when you think about what God has done and the picture of his forgiveness and then our own issues with it. Psalm 130 is a picture of God's love. It's the passage that was just read during the time of worship. It's a very powerful psalm. And that line, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And then it says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Some of us struggle with forgiveness in our earthly relationships because we're really uncomfortable with the idea that God not only forgives, but forgets. That God keeps no record of those wrongs. The psalmist is saying here, as far as the east is from the west, you know this, you've probably heard it, it doesn't take much to think through it. When you're traveling north, eventually you will travel south. You keep going north long enough, and you can take the cold, eventually you'll be going in the other direction. But when you're talking about east and west, there is no, there is no change. The east and the west, they're opposite directions. This picture is one of the, the totality of God's forgiveness. That he puts our transgressions so far from us, they're as far as the east is from the west. That's the level of the quality of the forgiveness that you and I experience. And so when the Apostle Paul in the Colossians passage says, forgive as you have been forgiven, he's tying our forgiveness of others to the forgiveness that we've received from God. It isn't just an obligatory thing that we're to check the box and say, well, I'm a Christian, I have to be forgiven. No, it isn't. that's not what, what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, look, you've been forgiven so much. Now forgive. Your transgressions have been removed so far as the east is from the west, so keep no record of wrongs. In fact, this is actually the, the way that Jesus deals with this idea of forgiveness. He actually confounds the people around him with the idea of forgiveness. When I read through the Gospels, it's a very confronting thing to think about the way that Jesus deals with the people he encounters. If we're serious about our, our walk with the Lord, we should, be, we should be thinking always about Jesus. Not just about what has been done for us in terms of his, his saving work, but is teaching an example. And I believe with all my heart that the teaching and example of Jesus show us much about forgiveness. They do not make it easier, but they do make it clearer. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives Peter a lesson in forgiveness. You know that passage uh, in Matthew 18, it's familiar to us, the passage uh, that talks about you know, when you've been wronged and, and how to approach that. And Jesus lines this out. Look, if someone has an offense, if you have an offense against them, you go to them, and then if you don't get anywhere, well, then you go with witnesses, and you keep going, and then if you don't get anywhere, then you, you pass them off as a tax collector or someone outside the community. You let it go, separate yourself from them. You, you try to make amends, and when you can't, and right after that, Peter turns to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
And what Jesus does in this passage is very powerful because the, the, the previous teaching was dealing with this wrongs committed against you. And there seems to be this resolution that you go, and if it doesn't get resolved, you go to the, the elders, you bring someone else, and if you go again, and if it doesn't get resolved, then you, you, you're done with it. And then Peter turns and says, but, but how much am I supposed to forgive? So obviously now, the resolution of that complaint against one another does not negate the need to forgive one another because Peter says, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times, and I'm convinced here that Peter thought that was a lot. He thought that was the A-plus with extra credit answer. He thought that this would make the teacher smile and say, oh, you've got it now, Peter. It's not just one or three, it's seven. And I think Peter's looking for the pat on the back or the gold star or the little sticker or whatever it takes to say, I pleased the teacher. I got it right. But Jesus turns and says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Then he goes on to illustrate with a parable. He doesn't give Peter a chance to answer about the king who was settling accounts and brings one servant to him who owned 10,000 talents and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment could be made. The servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, which is not easy to do. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and reported to their master all that had happened. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What Jesus does here is gives Peter something really powerful. He gives him a picture of forgiveness that is perpetual and from the heart. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives Peter a quality of forgiveness that is not a quantity of forgiveness. It isn't 70 times seven or even 140. It's perpetual and from the heart. And Jesus did this often. Faith wasn't tied to something someone did or something someone asked for or something someone paid. Remember in Luke 5, they're lowering that paralytic through the roof and Jesus looks up and sees the faith in the room and says, your sins are forgiven. The woman, the sinful woman that appears in the house of the Pharisees when Jesus is there in Luke 7, she comes in and begins to anoint Jesus with oil and wash his feet with her tears. And Jesus turns and says, your sins are forgiven. And everyone says, how can you do that? And he talks about the one who is forgiven much forgives much. He gives, he gives this woman a picture of forgiveness that's tied to her love and belief in Jesus. Even on the cross in Luke 23, Jesus looks down on his murderers, those that are causing, calling for his blood, and says what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. 
The teaching and example of Jesus in the Gospels is a hard one to take. Because the picture of forgiveness that Jesus shows is one where forgiveness isn't bought with a price or an act. It is given freely by God to us, by grace through faith in Jesus, and by us to others because of that grace and faith. You know, Martin Luther in the Protestant Reformation was countering this issue of penance. That you had to do something to earn or to purchase forgiveness, climbing up the steps on your knees till you were bloodied. The idea that somehow we've confused repentance with penance. Forgiveness isn't bought with a price or an act. You and I receive it freely from God by his grace through faith in Jesus alone. One of the things that strikes me is that when I think about the people in my life, the, if I look back over the course of my Christian walk, I don't think I could number the number of examples for you of people who have been unwilling to ask for forgiveness or the number of people who are holding something unwilling to forgive. I can't give it because he hasn't asked. I can tell you that I know people who are carrying a burden now in their life because they were unable to forgive and the person who wronged them is dead and gone. They will never be asked. They will never be asked. There are people who have been wronged by those who don't know they've wronged them or don't care that they've wronged them. The admonition in Scripture is for us as believers to forgive one another. The Apostle Paul chooses his words carefully in Colossians when he's talking about putting on the new self what it means for us to, to live out the gospel, to live out the, the benefits that we enjoy by being forgiven by God, to be redeemed. And it is to be forgiving, to forgive one another. As I said, I look down over the course of my life and I, can, I, I don't think I could number them. There are many people, some things ranging from something really small to something really large, something very, very almost trivial by some people's standards and something heinous by anybody's standards. The ability and the, and the action of us forgiving is not dependent upon the weight of the offense or even the repentance of the offender. Jesus is hanging on the cross, facing his murderers, and wants only to see them forgiven. There are some of you who are struggling with embracing and accepting the forgiveness that comes from God. How could he overlook my continual and perpetual sin? How could he really forgive me? I'm part of a Christian community. I've, I have professed Christianity. 
but I'm reluctant to embrace the forgiveness that comes from God. That will make it virtually impossible for you to forgive others. There is nothing you can do to earn or purchase the forgiveness of God. It is simply believing that the shed blood of Jesus has paid for the penalties of your sin. And you stand justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And some of us are here struggling to forgive another. Some sort of offense or broken relationship. And you're holding it for whatever reason. Maybe waiting for that which God does not require of you. You're holding it because it gives you power or control. But the scripture says to forgive, to keep no record of wrong, for that is an outworking of Christian love and unity. And if you're here and you've been unwilling to ask for forgiveness or you don't know, humble yourself, be sensitive to others, and show the kind of respect and deference the Bible requires of us. But Christian community should be one marked by forgiveness because we have been forgiven so much. I've debated whether or not to share this, but one of the things that I think a lot about the issue of forgiveness is this. In glory, when it's all over, and we're in eternity with the Lord Jesus, we will only know grace and peace and love and mercy and forgiveness for one another. We will be perfected, and we will hold no grudges, and we will keep no record of wrongs. I'm convinced that that's what eternity will look like. So why hold back now? Father in heaven, we ask you for the grace to take seriously the admonition to forgive one another. Give us what is required to be gracious with one another, to let go, to show true Christian love to one another and respect. Father, we pray that where we need to ask for forgiveness, we would be willing and humble enough to do so. But Father, we pray that even in these matters, we would not think on ourselves, but on the other. That we would examine ourselves. That we would come to terms with the forgiveness that we enjoy by your good grace. And in return, show that forgiveness to others. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day and a great week.